This is Y-Tune Shuffle. Y-Tune Shuffle, it's the music that informs our lives. The rules here are that there are no rules other than just bring in your music, mm. hit play. And then we get to pick your brain about why those songs. I'm 10 years old and, so, and I'm hanging out at a friend's house and he told us this was about sex. Now, 10 years old, I don't know what sex is. I don't know, what are you talking about? But something stirred. <laughs> I, I started paying more attention to song lyrics uh-huh. after this. Welcome to Y-Tune Shuffle, a celebration of the music that inspires our lives. With your hosts, comedian and radio personality, Maggie Mayfield, and Hollywood's secret weapon, David Earl Waterman. This is Y-Tune Shuffle. Hey, this is a show that we're doing called Y-Tune Shuffle. Mm-hmm. Maggie Mayfield back in the host chair with me, a.k.a. Hollywood secret weapon, David Earl Waterman. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. North America and all the ships at sea. <laughs> this is Burbank. I'm so happy to see you. I'm happy to see you, too. And with us, our guest in studio today is very infamous writer Andrew Steele. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> and you have done some quite incredible things, not to like stalk you online a little bit, but you've been writing the funniest things since Saturday Night Live started. Uh, up for debate whether they're the funniest <laughs> things, but yes, I have had I did a, no uh, research. <laughs> I met him at a barbecue and we knew some similar people. We have, yeah, we have Is few- that your Facebook, David? Like every barbecue you go to, you're like, how many friends do we have in common? And you just ask them. And Dave, like, I, yeah. sat, I sat next to Dave for a good 20 minutes not knowing who he was. <laughs> And slowly, memory, the way this works, it slowly starts to peel. The onion peels. It's like Dave Waterman. Yeah, that's a familiar sounding name. Yeah, where? No. And, and I, to tell you the truth, I've been reconstructing this one scene since, we, since that barbecue. I've been re- reconstructing this scene now for a month. And I've, and I've nailed it down exactly to what happened. I was walking along um, uh, uh, sixth, whatever is nor- runs north. I'm going to say seventh, but maybe it's eighth, mm-hmm. with, with maybe... Paul Kozlowski and, uh, and and we were walking along and uh, we see you on a corner and Paul turns and has a long conversation with you. This is 30 years ago. Uh, uh, he has a long conversation with you and um, and, he, and he walks away and uh, in a joyful mood, and we know Paul can be in different moods, he, he turns to me and goes, that was Dave Waterman. He's a great guy. That guy is a great guy. So that, that's, and I remember, I remember the whole thing. I can remember that whole little moment right that there. That was our, our, our chance meeting, and you can't <laughs> give it away on 7th Avenue. Then I see you in a barbecue 25 years later. <laughs> really? And you weren't in contact with that whole time? Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. What was the car that you were in? Do you remember? No car. We were just walking up. Oh, okay. uh, it was. I'm sorry. It was. It was in New York. So it was. Okay. It was yeah. 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 It was in, in the New one York, and the so nine. I was so, taking the one and the nine. So there was no cars. It was walking up the street. Yeah. <laughs> there was no cars. Yeah. Where were you living at that time in New York? Who knows? I don't know. You don't even remember. I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> I mean, I, me and Toby has lived in the. I'll talk a little bit about that. I'm sure when I talk about my songs. But we were living on the Lower East Side, maybe somewhere stand in Essex, I think. But. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I Maybe mean, did, I could. I could have been married at the time. It could have been on the Upper West Side. Who knows? It's foggy for me too. Yeah. Those are many, many years ago. But Maggie is is part of you know a new wave of comics that they don't actually do open mics. They do mics. Oh, okay. They've cut it down. They're called mics. We yeah. called them open mics. There's an open mic somewhere down in. I mean, yeah. there's Soho. a whole Facebook page for Los Angeles open mic scene. But okay. Okay. It's still, it's, okay. it's still wow, around. you are disconnected. So, <laughs> so we're a generation and a half, or a generation and three quarters, you know, before. Yeah. And and uh, so this was a very exciting time to be in New York. The sort of Janine Garofalo inspired, bring yeah. your notes on stage. 
people like me could actually do stand-up because you didn't have to have the chops that people kind of expected from, you know, even contemporaries like Steve Martin and, and Richard Pryor. Mm-hmm. You could get up and kind of do characters, and it was just totally exciting. Did you do? Yeah, that's what I'm not a performer. I'm not a performer at all. Toby, my roommate, was, you know, the, that that area, the, you know, what's the name of the, that sort of theater that that everyone did down Rebar? there? Rebar? Rebar, but the first Rebar was down on sort of Ludlow Street. And and it was it was a mix between just like performance art and let's call it stand up. But you're right, it was people just hashing out ideas on notebooks. I'm sure that space still exists, probably mm-hmm. for performers and stand ups in our world today. But but that was really the thing in in New York at that time. You know, I mean, and some of these people are great stand ups, and they brought some of that to work out. And but some of these people were just friggin' weirdos who showed up in Dada outfits and did nothing. You know. Well, that hasn't changed the, at all. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> so I, okay, yeah. that's got to be the same. And I, who doesn't love that? That that's, uh-huh. that it should be that way. Exactly. Know? And there's a whole contingency of of great talented people from Iowa. Chuck Sklar, obviously. Chuck Sklar. We, yeah. we have a little mafia. Steve Higgins and I knew each other back then in those days. He's Jimmy Fallon's sidekick and. Toby was was there, and and, uh, and so yeah, we have a we have our own tiny mafia. You guys grew up together, or you met in college? We or? met in college. You know, my I have a friend named Mark Fight who's an actor out here who works here and there, and uh, and uh, we grew up together. But everyone else we met in college. It was you know. Oh, you grew up with Mark Fight? I did. Yeah. Remember yeah. that place they used to have over with the Jerry's big, Garage? Yeah. Jerry's Garage. Yeah, yeah. This was a, an amazing sort of oh lofty God, yeah. type living yeah. situation. The best parties in L.A. Yeah. at that time. Late 90s. Oh, that was here in L.A.? Yeah. yeah. Oh, there yeah. used to be this huge wall mural of uh, Lucille Ball as mm-hmm. Lucy in the Vitamina... Vitamina, Vitamina Vegemine. There it is, yeah. <laughs> like, doing that scene, she's oh, holding, like, the, the, the jar. <laughs> like, that was a mural outside of this amazing... Yeah. yeah, we tried to. There was a game to see if you could whack a tennis ball with a baseball bat <laughs> over that mural. It was a huge building, you know. You yeah, had to yeah. see if you could... The earthquake uh, ripped that building down. Yeah. They had to leave. I met Mar- I, I met Paul Tarantino at that. At oh, that that, that, par- that party never ended. It that was never incredible. ended. It never ended. It was incredible. It never ended. It was uh, that you could come in. I always breezed into town because I was a New Yorker, and it'd be like, I wonder what's going on. Well, I didn't have to know. I just go over to Jerry's, and there would be twenty people that you know there. It, it was it was like it was Janine, Sarah Silverman was hanging out there. I'm a notorious name dropper. That's yeah. why they call me Hollywood secret. Okay. Weapon. <laughs> Did you have done nothing idea knows everybody. that like these people were? No, no, yeah. I don't. I mean, I mean, like, uh, and you know, you're very good friends with. And I don't think they all hung out at Jerry's Garage, but you'd see them there occasionally, like like David Cross or someone like that. And it's like, well, David Cross was already on his way to becoming kind of a. Known, you know, he was with the Stiller show, and they, yeah. they he, we they, were roommates at the time. Yeah, they, they, all, they all sort of were on their way, and we weren't. <laughs> like <laughs> Mark Fight and I, and we were all drift, drifting losers. But, but uh, it was fun to, yeah. Some of the people were just further along, and then some of the people, many of them, were nowhere. You know? It was fun. How did yeah. you pay the rent at that time? It wasn't my place. It was Mark's, and I don't. What, boy, how, how yeah. I, <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, I will say this: uh, times are a changing. You could live for four hundred dollars a week in places in L.A. and New oh, York. Yeah, you yeah. cannot. I mean, in, I had a place 90s. above the Cafe Pig in New York that I shared with Toby and Theo and my fr- my two friends there. And I think I don't, the rent was. I think we paid three hundred each. You know, I was like, I don't think you can do that anymore. Nope. Yeah. Not unless you want to live on top of each other in bunk beds. Well, we kind of did live on top of each other. <laughs> Well, shall we dig into some some music? Why not? These are Andy Steele. Andrew or Andy, do you prefer? It doesn't matter, but I'll go with Andrew just uh, okay. for posterity's sake. All right, Andrew Steele. Things first, digitally live. First pick. Mm-hmm. 
So bad right now. <laughs> I just, I'm high right now, man. My endorphins, the dopamine is running, man. Oh, you guys have heard of this one. <laughs> Where's it take you, Andrew? So I put this one on there because um, I, I, I need to preface this. It, it would hurt me not to preface this. I have uh, somewhere between seven and 10,000 records. And I'm sure every guest has said this. Coming up with five songs is stupid. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just, not quite that. It's just, that's just that's just that's just stupid. You can't like. There's so many things that songs that mean something to me in my life, and I and I also work with music. I when I write, I have music in the, in certain things of just. So this one represents a kind of a period. I'm going to say sort of high school in my car in Iowa by myself. Now, this is when, like a lot of, I think, probably creative people, I'm going to call myself that, they discover that they're not entirely like everyone else and they need some sort of soundtrack, either dopey or or, or, or bizarre or intelligent that, that then informs their life. And, and this song, I, it was just, I, I think I made a cassette one time with this song running five times. <laughs> so wow. I could be in the car driving into the cornfields at night by myself, listening loudly to a song that just intensely pulled out feelings, whatever they were, you know, crying and laughing and whatever manic feelings you have, this song could pull this out of me. And I know I have other songs like that, that that worked in the same period. And Lou Reed's Rock and Roll Animal was a big one for me. And, and, and it just was a, there was, but but this song I could play over. I, and, you know, it's I've heard this song and we've all heard this song a thousand times. And it never doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. It, it's, you know, it's just, it's just, it just is one of those songs. What so, were you driving? The mom's, uh, the mom's uh, Subaru. I had the Subaru out. That, yeah, it was, yeah, it's a it's a good car. Uh, I got I got the Subaru out, and I would drive. I know all of the from, uh, radiating out of Iowa City. I know I know all of the country roads and back roads in every direction for twenty five miles because I just I just go because well, you could see them all. I could. Yeah, <laughs> that is that is true. <laughs> that is true. A flat plains there, you could just drive around. But 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 I just yeah I just uh, and I'm like I said I'm sure there are other songs, but that song was a, a big one for me. What were you like in high school? Probably incredibly similar to what I'm like now. Isolated, uh, secretive, and uh, and uh, and a little nerdy. Um, you know, uh, I had in my in my first two years of high school, which would have been this sort of period, uh, I was completely alone because my best friend went to a private school and I'm not the best at making friends and, and, uh, and uh, this all sounds so awfully sad. It wasn't, um, uh, but, but then, but then in senior, I met some of my best friends for life. So, you know, these yeah. things take time and you always try to tell these kids this when they're sad, like, you know, just wait a year, you know, or things change so rapidly and so things change for me. But, but definitely from 10th and 11th grade, I was like walking to school by myself, walking home, spent all this time by myself and, and music was a, just a huge like escape for me. No you know. brothers or sisters. I had I had brothers and sisters. In fact, my sister was sort of the one that turned me on my, my to music. My older brother uh, got me involved in weird jazz and fusion and stuff that I don't even listen to anymore. <laughs> but my but my sister uh, had all the. I don't even know how this is possible, but she had all the kind of rock smarts. Um, you know, she listened to some kind of like treacly kind of 
Rod Stewart or or junk that I don't listen to. Um, um, but she also listened to like the Velvet Underground and and, yeah. and, and yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like and 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 uh, and this is seventy. You know, I mean, again, it's not. It's, she wasn't in Warhol's group and whatever. Mm-hmm. But I mean, for a high school kid, she was two years older than me to like way be into like uh, Velvet Underground or, or or Lou Reed and and, and sort of. The New York Dolls and you know this sort of music in '75 or '76 or something, uh, that was that was cool. And then I would steal her records and take them. I had this little Sanyo stereo Sanyo. in my yeah, this little thing in my <laughs> in my in my room, so I could sit there and I built a shelf so that if my mother walked in, she wouldn't be able to see me at all. And I was <laughs> hiding in there like it like at three in the morning with my headsets on, just cranking music. So That's I, so great. Yeah, you had your own room. I had uh, for we there's five people in my family, so early on until they started leaving, I, I had to share a room. But then when they left, I had my own room. Yes, five yeah. kids or five in total? Uh, five kids, yeah, yeah. Can you go from from dad down to all the name everybody? Well, uh, Oliver and Joy were the parents. They're barely alive now. They're sitting out there in Iowa. Um, and then I've got uh, a Chris, a Mark, an Eleanor, a me, and a and a and a, and a Paul. What, what did Oliver and Joy do for? They were both work? professors at the University of Iowa. Yeah, yeah. Oh. My dad was an English professor. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's pretty cool. I think that does sound like a pretty cool yeah, yeah. home life. Yeah. Well, only when it comes to like checking your homework. That was the shitty part. Actually. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say. that was the shitty part. That I I had a real stigma about uh, writing, and it's fun. I became a writer. <laughs> but, but 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 my my mother would like just uh, the spe- I just was the worst speller, and my grammar was terrible. Everything I was just I must have been fighting something or something. I don't know. I just and you became a writer, yeah. mostly television. In, essentially, yeah. I can't think of. I wrote a. I wrote a. <laughs> I wrote a. I think it's out there. I wrote a biography of Ron Burgundy, who is a uh, television uh, personality, fictitious. You wrote um, that? I did. Uh, but yeah, television basically is what I've worked in for a long time. I did not know you wrote that film. Uh, I did not write no, the film. No, you wrote the biography. I wrote a biography. I wrote a book. No, the film, who, uh, yeah. I, you I, wish. <laughs> I do. I, I probably have a larger. I was going to say lunch yeah. on you yeah, uh, after yeah, the show. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, but you, you told me at, at the barbecue that you were you almost went in a different direction. You went back to school. Yeah, I, I, I was sort of obsessed with being a, uh, a more like a novelist or a writer, and also I, I wanted to teach, and, and so I was going to do that. I went to I was started grad school, and it was one of my old pals, Steve Higgins, who yeah. called me up and asked me to write on this dumb cable show they had, and <laughs> it's just one of those serendipitous moments where. You imagine your life going in some direction, and then it, and then you get pulled in this thing, and then you realize, oh well, this is what I should be doing <laughs> because I like this, and, mm-hmm. and it's just your and these happy accidents don't happen with everyone, and they did for me, so I'm, I feel sort of, for lack of a better word, blessed, oh, brother. <laughs> <laughs> you can let it all hang out here, Andrew. Okay. This is a love fest. Okay. Well, we can just focus on the music. I was waiting. I'm like, what, what, what? And then I got the hook. 
I've never heard this. Uh, oh my gosh. Sorry. <laughs> you are. I, I've, I've discovered she is a dope. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, it's an old Dylan song that many people covered and the birds covered, but that's not why I didn't. I, the birds version I love. That's my favorite version. Um, but this, Dave can understand this. We were talking about it. So every Monday night, uh, Toby and I would go to the Ludlow Street Cafe, which is right across from Max Fish on Ludlow Street in old in old timey New York, back in the late eighties, early nineties, nineteen hundreds. Yeah, um, that's where I think uh, the Stella Lounge or, or Rebar they start. It started over there. Stella, yeah. So I would I would I would see like Janine and people there, but. But next door, this this Ludlow Street Cafe. Every Monday night, this band called Beat Rodeo, which had had a minor success, uh, um, but but they had lost their lead singer. I think sometimes he joined them, but they just played there as the house band on Monday night. And I went every Monday night for probably a year or two, and and they would play this song. I I, I can't. I just and they were really great musicians, and they were really they were just too cool for school. They were cooler. Than, I I try to talk to them occasionally, and always like. No, you guys are way too cool. I can't really talk to you guys, but, <laughs> but, but I did listen to them every day. They, they were great. They, they just, just like it's, it's one of those rare occasions where um, they probably were just tired of trying to make it as a band. Mm-hmm. What are they going to do? Uh, they're both. They all live in New York. I think maybe probably new parents or something. And it's like, well, let's just go play. And then and it's just in there. And it was kind of the beginning of the alt country thing too, which I was sort of into and. You could go around bars in New York and see people singing Loretta Lynn songs, and it was kind of <laughs> hokey. They were great at it. They were they really they sort of got the vibe really well. Sort of the 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 you know um, I'm forgetting his name Parsons. What's his name? Uh, Graham Parsons. Not Graham Parsons. It's not his name. His name's not Parsons. Anyway, they 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 really sort of got the whole old country vibe, and they would have guest singers come up and. Yeah, I just that was just a great period. A lot of drunkenness. This is some heavy, heavy drinking uh, to the point of destruction for some friends of mine. But mm-hmm. but I was able to survive. Um, a lot of great stories of debauchery. What's your, what's your drink? Beer. I'm a beer guy. You know, just any I, beer. I, I, beer and 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 I think probably bourbon at the time. A lot of bourbon. Mm-hmm. Um, um, bourbon was sort of more the kind of solitary. Uh, suicidal drink uh, and beer was more the the, the outgoing party. Well, I'm not dead, so no, I can yeah, I can talk least. about it. <laughs> but the uh, beer was sort of the social be, be out at the the bars. You're, you knew you were those bars. I mean, in your Blanche's and Country Bar and, and Sophie's and all those bars, you know, in the Lower East Side, downtown there. Beirut. Yeah, all oh yeah, all of them. We amazing. were we were in and out of all those bars all the time. Are are, are you a person that I mean I I. I was kind of overwhelmed, you know, because a lot of stuff went down really quickly, and it was the Seinfeld years, yeah, and yeah. The friends, and everybody had money, and everybody yeah, yeah, had yeah. development deals, and you know, my experience, I kind of went from a, a social worker with half a college degree, hanging out with you know people like John Groff and Dave Cross and yeah, yeah, CK. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was amongst the geniuses, you know, yeah. and, and hanging tough, um, but. You know, it was. I, I panicked a lot, and it was like I. I had some demons of like. Did are you? I've gotten. I've gotten you? older to understand that they panic too. You know, it's like I think. But how uh, about you? Like, I, what was going on? Oh in your yeah, head? no, definitely. That that's you're just always an outsider. You know, I mean, really? you, just, you, you know, it's like uh, I always felt like a clunky outsider in this world. Toby, my friend uh, Toby, 
he he uh, he blended better. He got drunker faster. I think he <laughs> he uh, he just was. He could navigate the world really well. And and you know, like Toby Mac Huss, was, Toby hey, Huss, a guy you meet on the loading dock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, just yeah. Start talking. Max Fish was a bar across the street, and Max Fish was definitely too cool for me. Like I would walk in there to pull Toby out occasionally, but if I was in there for a second, it'd be like, no, Andrew, you don't, you don't, you can't. You can go listen to the alt country over there and not quite fit in, but you can't be in Max Fish. You're not, <laughs> no. you're not allowed to be in here. So I had a, there's that feeling and i think that just stays with honestly a lot of comedy people mm, yeah <laughs> you know? i was gonna say that is so comforting that you say that i think i think comedy people and probably creative people and you know what maybe just people feel this sort of alienation mm-hmm. from time to time in their lives and no doubt it's so they're... self-imposed though oh absolutely it's, it's something that you you know you have to overcome and alcohol helps when you're younger and and then maybe you get smarter yeah, certainly it does. I mean, I, I got a buddy of mine that's doing independent educational programs, and he mm-hmm. kind of started his own business. And this is a like, 57, 58-year-old guy. We are on the phone the other day, and he's like, man, halfway through my presentation, which was going great, I'm thinking I'm a phony. Yeah. I'm thinking, yeah. I don't know what that's about. But, yeah. it's, you know, it's, I think. I, I had people... one of those at a, at a Writers Guild uh, mm-hmm. award show, and, and, and a guy got up, and I'm going to forget who it was, but his list of credits were were crazy, like Dr. Strangelove or something. Mm. You know, just like these oh, are yeah. movies that everyone knows, knows and loves. And he got up, and the first thing he said is, I always thought I was going to get thrown out for being a phony. The whole room, there was an there was like a a, a laugh that came from uh, just such an acknowledged, like, oh, we're not alone. You, you know, yeah. we all feel that, and I think that's kind of common. You mentioned Toby Huss a bunch of times, and I'm suspecting that he's a buddy that was just comforting in, in and of itself. And for me, Paul Kozlowski... Who's your go-to, Maggie? You're young in this business. You're starting to kick some ass and things are happening for you. Who's like your 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 main go-to? Who who gives you support when the demons come or you start to get worried? Next song, please. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I have to open up and this she won't. Okay. No, I'm just trying to think. I mean, comedy-wise, I don't know. I don't really have someone in the biz that I feel that close to. I might not have been thinking about Paul in that way. During those times, right. but when I look back on it, I guess no, I certainly wasn't right. thinking about Toby. We lived yeah, together, so, and you know, but, like these are just people you went. And I lived with, with Paul. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Like, yeah. It's at the end of a crazy day in New York, and and meetings, and and this might happen, and this might happen to get home and be with my buddy Paul. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. we grew up in the same area. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I would say my best friend Sabrina, who has nothing to do with entertainment whatsoever, which is great. Mm-hmm. She's got two young kids, and it's just the best release so whenever i'm like the world is terrible i just go hang out with her and the kids and i'm like oh no it's not that bad this is she is married mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah. I'm i've known her since i was 18 yeah. oh okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's, we used to those wait, are the best kind so rotate wait tables well, two for two here number three <laughs> there's the jazz yeah <laughs> Jazz makes her laugh. There's this very funny episode in Sex and the City uh-huh. where the main character, Carrie, winds up dating some like cool hipster guy, but yeah. he's into jazz, and she's like, I just don't get it! I just don't get it! <laughs> jazz is jazz is one of those subjects that you tepidly bring up because it is such a... Yeah. It's gross. Uh, 
But my record collecting, I would say most of my records are jazz. I'm a huge jazz man. There's no way I could have chosen a jazz song, so I chose just Gene Ammons. He's not even my favorite jazz musician, but 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 this song I know back and forward, forward and backwards, sort of like into the Mystic. I probably heard it a billion times, and this record that that um, that uh, he made uh, is top to bottom something I can listen to over and over and over again, and and. Uh, but it's impossible for me to pick a jazz thing. A lot of them are longer, but I like short Charlie Parker songs or things. I could listen to anything, but I will admit that jazz, it's not a hard sell. People, you know, will always be like, oh, yeah, but but generally it's a geeky thing. Does it help you write? I wrote a lot to jazz because, you know, I'm not listening to someone's voice in my head. So mm-hmm. I would say that most of the writing that I do to music is to jazz. It's hard to block out of. Writing is such an interesting job. What's your process? Like, do you get up in the morning, grab coffee, turn on the music, and you're like, I'm going to sit down and do this? No, or do no. you? Okay. No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a starts and fits and inspiration guy. I'm not a, I, there's no muscle. There's no, mm-hmm. I don't work out. And, and uh, sometimes I lament that and wish that I could be a guy who wakes up in the morning and writes for four hours every day and then goes on with the rest of my day, but I torture myself and mm-hmm. slow and I'm just, I'm a very undisciplined writer, which probably shows up here and there. That's how I do stand up too. Cause I, I get so frustrated when other comics are like, I get up every day and I try and write for at least an hour and write new jokes every day. I'm like, how, how so, are you? Some people do that how? process. I'm sure you get your best ideas driving around in a car yep, you know, or exactly in the shower it. or something. That's, that's just, that's, that. I've had, I've had more good ideas happening over the Barham Driving up over Barham. That feels like that's my sweet spot right oh, there. Nice. Like I'm, I, I'm, I've, I've gotten away from Hollywood in some way, and it's like, oh, I'm about to head home. And then there's some clearing. I think there's some psychic space there. That it's yeah. funny. My cell phone goes dead right at Barham. Yeah, maybe Mine that. Too. Maybe yeah, so. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's a useful thing. <laughs> what right, about right. when you're a staff writer on a TV show like SNL or like what's Aren't you under the gun all the time to produce? That's the perfect show to create the kind of writer I am uh, because. <laughs> You can live there without discipline. You're still forced. It's like as someone explained it. It's like having a term paper due every week, you know. And so, so who are you? Are you the person who wrote that term paper days before it was due? Or are you the person who wrote that term paper and got it in? You know, you you rode your bike to school and got it in under the door late. Yeah. I'm that guy, you know. And then a lot of us are that guy. And you can do both at SNL. Either one worked, but. But I was, uh, you know, Adam McKay. A lot of us were up till, well, Forte up till ten in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, still writing. You know, and, and like did you guys Friday work night? together doing that? I didn't. I, I'm. I, I. I tend to write by myself. I've, I've written with people, and I and I can from time to time. But 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 uh, I get confused by other voices. Sometimes uh, it, it, it'll throw me off. So I I selfishly sort of write by myself. Mm-hmm. I I've written with Will Farrell who is a is uh, is a, such a good writer in and of itself and such a good listener that you um he blends well with all kinds of people and so I can I could write with Will and uh, I think sometimes I would sit in a room with maybe Molly Shannon or Tracy Morgan was another one Tim Meadows I could write with Tim Meadows um but but I generally, I almost always just wrote by myself. Mm-hmm. But but plenty of people write in groups and write different. Yeah. There's so many different ways to write, especially comedy. Right. Is there a particular sketch that you're proud of? I'm not proud of anything. Okay. Uh, I don't. I, hell, I don't know. I mean, it, no, because I mean, I can't. I would never be. It, it, the recall's not there. I wrote a lot of sketches. Some of them uh, are, are more memorable than others. And uh, yeah, no, I don't know. That's all right. Yeah. I just figured I'd ask. Yeah. 
Yeah, I never know who wrote what or whatever, but I think it's interesting when, oh, you wrote that. That's, that's I mean, writers don't really get the public credit. Mm-mm. I mean, do people recognize you for that? No, I mean, I, well, no. I mean, the writers are, they always say in this town, writers are shed. It used to be kind of a situation where, like, you know, if you wrote a movie, mm-hmm. you, you, uh, you, you weren't allowed to go talk to the actors during the performance or anything. It's, SNL's a unique situation because as a, as a writer there, you have a kind of power that is not that is not normal for Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, you you produce your own piece. You tell the director where you want cameras if you want to. Uh, you don't have to, and you you know you control a lot. You know as a writer, and Lauren Michaels gives the power to these writers, and they become little generals and little producers. And so a lot of them come out into Hollywood and become Adam McKay, and they become directors too. Yeah, because they have this sort of like I want to do this on my own sort of mentality that comes out of Saturday Night Live. If you staff here on sitcoms and stuff, you're more used to a different, it's a different experience or you're in the film world, you hand the script over and a director takes it and starts to fuck with it. And so I've had great experiences working on long form things like I did a Spanish movie with Will Ferrell and I've done some other long form things. And that group, we all are very familiar with this process. And so um, Will will have me come on the set. But I can see left and right of me some crew people being like, let's not slow this down with this guy. Yeah. You know, why is this writer on the set? We don't normally do that. And, and I, you can see, I think it's all loosening up. I think Adam and Judd and these people who make sort of movies that have a little bit of improv element, yeah. they're letting this is all sort of loosening up. But there was a kind of rigid when I started world. I, I, I don't fully understand, but I appreciate how uh, a writer who was on Saturday Night Live Andrew, that's a huge show. With it's a big show, yeah. It's a big show. It's a, it's a big <laughs> experience. And you were part of it. So I can kind of understand, like, you know, when, when asked, what, any sketch you're particularly proud of? Mm, yeah. What about one that tanked? Horribly. <laughs> oh, I had I had plenty that tanked. I'm not a, again. What do you do like, in those it, moments? It's like like, so many, oh, it's humiliating. It's the really. Best. It's it's the one thing that I I feel it's like it prepares you for entertainment. I always I this, I tell this to kids when I talk to kids about writing stuff. It's like if you bat 300, you're in the Hall of Fame in baseball. It's the same with comedy. You're you're going to strike out twice for every one you get. You know, mm-hmm. you probably know this is a stand up. Mm-hmm. You throw this material out there and. And uh, you fail, you know, and the when the when you don't fail, you know, it's like, oh, keep that one in the bank, you know, yeah. and but but learning, but 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 sketch writing is it's it's a crapshoot, you know, I, it's 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 so you fail plenty. And and the worst is to fail with a big swing. The worst is to get something to the show or on air and then for it to fail on air. That's the worst. Like to get halfway there and it fails, you're, you have to suffer through. But no one really saw it. But to see something get to the air and fail. I, did, I wrote this sketch with Tim Meadows for a long time, me and this other guy, Dennis McGregor, it's called The Ladies' Man with, with Tim Meadows. And um, and it was this kind of suave guy who who uh, drank Coassier and, and talked about women. And we had uh, the woman from the Brady Bunch on there. And uh, we went for this ridiculous joke about, I, and I'm going to mangle this because I don't even remember what it was, but it, we went for this joke where it was like, uh, where do you like to have sex? And it was like, you know, in the butt, you know. What, it's like, it's like <laughs> you know, one of these kind of jokes, I think, and I think that the line, something about the Hershey Highway or something, it was just like, we really went for something low, which I am not above. Um, <laughs> and uh, Lauren Michaels said, do you really want to go with that? And, and Dennis McDonald and I, we looked at him like, we do, and we know what we're doing, old man. Oh, wow. And the audience 
checked out hard. <laughs> they oh, were like, man. we ruined it. This character killed every time too, and we were this. We just blew this sketch with this this awful. And and you're 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 blowing it with a joke you even hate. You know, so mm-hmm. you're just you're just you're humiliated. Yeah. How did Ann B. Davis take it? Uh, I th- was that who it was? Who was it? Was the Brady Bunch lady, the blonde, the the mom? Florence Henderson. Florence Henderson. Oh, Florence yeah. Henderson. Yeah, she liked being dirty. We were told that. Like, she liked saying filthy things, like because it's unexpected. What? Well, <laughs> you know what I mean. It's like an unexpected thing, and yeah. it'll be funny. And so we'd go for it, and it's like, oh no, they the audience does not like that. <laughs> I've heard that a lot of times. Sketches that get picked on like a Wednesday or whatever, you don't even know if they're going to go up until Friday morning. You know, right before you do the dress rehearsal? No, no. If you get picked on Wednesday, I mean, the show worked that way. You wrote them on Tuesdays, you read them on Wednesdays. And if you got picked, you at least got through. You're, you're going to make it to dress more than likely. You'll uh-huh. make it to dress. And then if you win at dress, uh, 14 sketches, winnowed down to eight or nine or something. If you win there, then, then you're going to make it to air. But, but once you're picked on Wednesday, that you're, you're in, you know. Um, it always surprises me, people's ability to memorize lines that quickly. Well, they amazing. don't, you know, it's all cue cards. You know. Is it really? Yeah, the show is cue cards. Oh, and, and, no and, and people and people, people always criticize SNL for it. It's like, oh, he's looking at cue cards. He doesn't even know how to memorize lines. Well, one, there's so much for a host. There's so much crap. Oh, you can't. Yeah. But two, these things change so much. Like in between the, the, the run through on Thursday to Friday, they change so much that it's, it would be impossible. So... You know, um, you're you're changing in between dress and air. You know, you're running back there with the cue card guys, and everyone's nervous and freaked out. And you're like, I've changed things literally three minutes before you go on, on air. So, you know. And that's the that's live television yeah. from the beginning. It's of live terrifying. Television. Yeah, it's they, a they've wonderful. Had those yeah. cue cards. Yeah. I, I I worked with them one time, and those guys are amazing. You know, oh, really? they're the, they're the best. They're right it's, where you it's, need it's, them to be. It's insane. Yeah. Wow. And they're like they're ar- they all have like muscular arms from like writing super fast. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Wow, the inside scoop. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Mark Marin's podcast, WTF, and yeah, yeah. he's like obsessed with Lauren Michaels. So I feel like every time he gets a chance to talk about Lauren, he's like. Oh. And he finally had Lauren on, which I thought was yeah. kind of neat because I was there when Mark Marin was up for Weekend Update. And I think he's probably talked about this, about mm-hmm. being asked to audition or maybe come out. And I don't remember the ins and outs, but I was sort of the, if not the inner circle at that point, I was sort of trusted at that point. And so I probably knew some of the stuff uh, that was going on, not everything. And then I think, uh, this, I don't remember any of my work really or any of these periods that well, so I'll mangle this too. But but then I think Tina got the job and mm-hmm. not Mark Maron. So, so which, uh, and then at first I was like, that's crazy. She was a writer. I don't like this. And then, of course, she became one of the best <laughs> uh, we could update people ever. You know? yeah. It's like, I, I, it speaks to my knowledge of talent. Are you st- Are you still with the show? No, gosh, no, okay. no. I've been gone for ten years now. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I was there for thirteen years, but I was, but I, yeah. still a fan. I'm a huge fan. I love that show. I, I don't. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to leave. I mean, you never want to leave that show, but but I also wanted to do other things. I don't yeah. want to write sketches the rest of my life, so mm-hmm. I just wanted to try other things. And but I love that show. Nice. Yeah. yeah. All right. Song number four. Number four already. Oh yeah, this is off my records. I love it. He will not always say what you would have him say. But now and then he'll say 
I want to live in this world all the time, and, and I have since I was seven years old. What's yeah. up? What's, where does it take you? Why? It's more, uh, I'm going to soap, I got, this is, Doris Day is a soapbox for me. It's, 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 she's such a sort of comedy, dopey icon from the Rock Hudson era, you know, the, 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 the silly movies and, uh, her sort of overacting and, and silliness. Um, one, she was an amazing actress. Like if you go watch Man, Young Man with a Horn or some of these older things that she was in the 50s or when she plays drama, she's an incredible actress. She has a great, she's just, she's really good. But but throw all that away, she started as a big band singer with, with Les Brown and, and she did Sentimental Journey is a classic of hers. But her voice, it's I, and it, try to defend Doris Day is stupid. People defend her, but you don't hear it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna guess that you, like there isn't you don't listen to Doris Day ever. Yep. Um, but she has she has <laughs> <laughs> she has uh, this incredible microphone voice. It's like what they always say about Bing Crosby. She's just got this. It, it I can't even describe it. It's like this. This girl, it's a very girl next door sort of, um, you know, uh, or she's next to you in bed and she's just starts singing. It's like a, it's a crazy, uh, it it is, it's, it's a real, um, uh, intimacy. Mm -hmm. And she says she copied Ella Fitzgerald, but Ella to me is a more of a blaster, you know, a little bit more of a show off. Not that that's bad. I just, Doris uh, laid back and, and it's just so casual. I think there's maybe some acting there, but it's, it, it doesn't feel like acting. It's very, I just, I love her voice. She's done a, uh, she did an album with Andre Previn that's kind of a jazzy album that is really great. Um, uh, this one just sort of showed off her sort of subtlety and her, her voice. Uh, she became a kind of cartoon, I think, and a huge draw. I mean, it, she was a big, big star. Um, but but I think uh, I, I I just if anything if, if people ever listen to this podcast give her a, <laughs> give her a shot I have a fondness for sort of um, uh, sort of a white jazz singers um, I have a fondness for all kinds of music but but Anita O'Day and June Christie and all these kind of singers but but people don't lump Doris Day in with that because she was too poppy and uh, and and no no she's she's better she's great she's better than all of them she 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 was a really it's just that it just that's just it hits me. But st- like stylistically and and, and music appreciation wise, but like in it, in my head when I hear Doris Day, I'm in my grandparents' house. You know this sort of like it, this it, idea. It, this it reaches period. me on some nostalgia level, I'm sure. But the nostalgia for Doris is more like her TV show that was barely on when I was young, and then in syndication probably, and then and then those Rock Hudson movies, which are dopey. You know, I mean, that, that's it's it. This this thing hits me on. I think a, I don't want to sound pretentious, but a, definitely a more essential um, level than nostalgia. Mm-hmm. I, there, there's something just uh, like this voice is um, has not been a no pop singer today uh, can do this. You know, I had Christina Aguilera in a, in a studio once singing a song that I wrote and. Um, and she's got, I love her voice. She's got an amazing voice. But there's no, she, and she probably has the ability to mimic this because she's so good. But she can't do it. They, they don't know how to do this sort of plain intimacy. It's a very plain thing. Uh, they, they, just, they just blow shit out, you know. Andrew, <laughs> a- Andrew <clears throat> let's review. You had Christina Aguilera <laughs> in a studio doing a song that you wrote. Yeah, 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 I did. 
Okay. Well, I'm a I'm a fucking big shot. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I, mean, I, wrote, I wrote a movie. Yeah. That, I wrote a movie that the whole world saw called Casa de Viva Padre. It was a Spanish movie for Will Ferrell. Um, you wrote I, that movie. I wrote that movie. Okay, yeah. so I knew you wrote some and movies. a song in it. Yeah. Uh, and the and the theme song for it. Uh, we got Christina in there at Capitol Studios, which is kind of a dream for me. Uh, and she has an incredible, beautiful voice. And uh, and she she did something. She she blew it out. She did a version where she blew it out, and she I, I can't do it, but she was like all over the place, and it was soulful and beautiful. And she goes, "Hey, do you, do you want me to pull this back a little bit? Because she knows, you know." Uh-huh. And it's like, "Yeah, yeah, pull it back a little bit. It's like crazy." Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Are your parents musical? No, no, no. I mean, no, not at all. They're just your brother and sister that were into jazz and then... People were rock. into music and then I just, I think I hid in it. You know, it was mm-hmm. like it reached my psyche, like the music was my little hiding place. Did you ever pick up a guitar? No, I'm terrible. I'm like, you know, I, 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 it bums me out, but no, I can't. <laughs> I have no musical ability. Well, that's why I became a radio DJ because I can't play yeah. music. Yeah. My, my dad's big line was, "I could play the I could play the the radio." Yeah, that's what I can play. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> yeah, I, can, I can play a lot of records. It's a trip, man. Capital Records, big round circle. I'm yeah. so right excited now. for this next one. I don't even know it. I don't even remember it. Let's, it. Let me get high. Let me get, let me get a hit on this. Oh, yeah. hit, hit me with it. Not what I thought it was. <laughs> Yeah, you thought it was something else. I, I know did. you did. <laughs> oh, it's, it's... oh, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Patsy Klein. Yeah, that is not. I love it. This is nice. This is... Oh, this is beautiful. Drug music is the best. It totally is. Drug. This is sweet. Who are you dancing with? I, myself. <laughs> I'm not a dancer. Uh, I, yeah, I love this song. I, I love. I love. Uh, my, my favorite singer of all singers, I can say this sort of definitively, is is Aretha Franklin. Mm. And. This is a girl named uh, Betty Swan who spells it very weirdly, so I'm going to say that's what her name is, but she spells it very strangely. And It's not Patsy Cline. That was not Patsy Cline. No, no, no. Patsy Cline sings a, a country version. I love the Patsy Cline version, and I, 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 I love country music. This was the hard part about this show for me because George Jones' Color of the Blues is easily mm-hmm. in my top ten and could have been in my top five. So many things could have been in my top five, and, and I love country music intensely. Um, and so this was my way of sort of covering two bases. Uh, I, I love country music. I love, I love, uh, uh, it was a little cheat and I love soul music and, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and I'm obsessed with this woman right now, Betty Swan. Um, she did some records for Capitol and some other things, but, but a lot of soul people covered country songs. Like obviously, um, mm-hmm. Ray Charles had a huge mm-hmm. hit with country songs and, and I think generally when they cross over and sing country songs, because the two worlds are so closely aligned. Um, musically, at least, um, it works really well. Mm-hmm. I love Sweet Dreams, yeah. I, I, and, and this version is sort it's of really nice. I was trying to think, like I've never heard her sound like. No, this. that's not the Patsy Cline version. The Patsy Cline version has all those strings, and it's and it's beautiful into itself. I, I like that version, but yeah, I love this this soulful one. I go and teach uh, radio broadcasting to a group of students in Huntington Beach every so often, and we talk a lot about finding your truth 
and not worrying so much. Like my philosophy is just because someone else has done it doesn't mean it's been done the best way right. or the only way to do something. And my example is always cover songs. And it's interesting that like you talk a lot about like, you know, Patsy Cline's version or George Jones' version and how these amazing songs have been done and done and done again. A, a beautiful song is, is, is hard to f*** up, you know. Uh, someone who's written a beautiful song, um, you know, and there are so many great songwriters. I have an example that I always talk about with my kids and I, we know that I talk about it. It's the song Sunny. Can't sing it in my head. Sunny. You got it. Thank yeah. you for the. Yeah. So you can't. This is, I, have, I, have, I, have, I have about two or three of these songs that you literally can't f- up. Like, no, like, yeah. there's the easy listening versions, there's yeah. country versions, there's soul versions. Let It Be Me is another one. No one can f- these songs up because they're just beautiful songs. Right. Yeah. And then so you put your gloss on them, you take your own interpretation on them, and. and uh, so what's your thought then when Hollywood takes old TV shows and repurposes them into new movies or just updated ideas? Again, any of these things can be done. It's all execution, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like uh, you can f*** up that, though. I mean, mm-hmm. And Hollywood frequently does. And sometimes you wonder why they touch things. I don't know why that guy remade uh, the Norman Bates movie, The Psycho. But, mm-hmm. The Odd mm-hmm. Couple. But, but, uh, but uh, yeah, or The Odd Couple. But then, I mean, every community theater rocks The Odd Couple. Why can't we do it twice on TV? Yeah, I mean, you can. <laughs> and, and, and people got a Jones for it, you know, and you got to do it. And I see old movies sometimes you're watching, you're like, oh, this should be done again, you know. So I can't. I'm not. No judgment there about people who try that. But, yeah, you can f*** that up. Maybe there are just too many people and too many hands in the bucket. Yeah. Apparently, Spider-Man is like Sonny. Yeah, you can't f*** it up. No, you, you know, cannot. You just keep going back to Spider-Man, and it just keeps winning. <laughs> and so so like, there are versions of this in that world. Uh, yeah. I just, uh, you know. And two great themes uh, that come to mind. Spider-Man is definitely a great song, the, the television show Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Spider-Man. And recently with the, with the release of Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the television show, Wonder Woman! Have you heard that? that, that I remember it from the 70s or yeah. 80s, but it's a kick-ass is it? theme. Andrew, you're a creative guy, obviously, and it's flowing in this room. And you've inspired me to ask a question that's never been asked on this show Uh-oh. Oh, before in, in quite this way. So do the best I you can. think I'm this. straight. <laughs> <laughs> that's for Al. But you've taken us on quite a journey musically, and I'm just kind of imagining you growing up as a kid. If I were to say middle school, what song would come to your head for you? Middle school, junior high. Uh this one I almost put on the list. It was a. Uh, it was Louis Armstrong's "Mac the Knife." Um, Mac the Knife in middle school. Well, see, that's just it. So, so at some point around that period, middle school would be the the moment, seventh or eighth grade. I had decided, uh, consciously or unconsciously, I can't tell you, that I was a weirdo, and nice. and and I nice. walked into a record store and I had all the options that you would have at that time: uh, Gary Wright's Dream Weaver or something. I don't know. And it was like, what am I going to buy? And I'm going to buy. Oh, I don't know what this is. And I'm going to buy this. And then I went home and there's a lot of embarrassment around putting it on my turntable. And like it's like a little mini rebellion inside, and you're kind of afraid. Like, like I'm going to play this song, and my brothers are going to hate me. Everyone's going to hate me. And it's like, but, but that was yeah, that was Louis uh, Louis Armstrong back the knife. Louis Armstrong back the knife. Not Bobby Darren. No, I I heard that later, obviously, but but no, the so Louis that's Ar- middle school. Yeah, that's yeah. Amazing. But college. Yeah. Top song comes here in college. Oh, boy. I don't know. I probably was. That was probably my my intense beginning of my jazz period. I, I what would it be? 
I came in there. Jazz is enough. That's 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 suitable. This is a never before done little game I'm playing. With. Yeah, I just can't. I was gonna say, can you even answer those questions? Me? Yeah. Middle school. I, yeah, middle school easily. AC/DC. I mean, college. I also <laughs> I was I was a big jazz fan, but I also had a little foray into the kind of new wave punk thing, you know. And so I remember Devo, and and okay. uh, that wasn't punk, but I mean, but but I like the Sex Pistols. Punk? I consider it sort of new wave, really. Oh, but, new wave, but, yeah. but 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 um, but but I definitely Sex Pistols and 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 you know it sort of blended later into REM. So there was some rock there, but mainly I was a collector of jazz, and so I was just way into. There, there was a there's a sax player named Wardell Gray who was kind of obscure, but um, but he was my favorite. I'm gonna yeah. call. I'm gonna call that timeline. Timeline. Yeah, let's do a little timeline Take here. Let's see where we go, and then we we get like four or five more songs. You yeah. know, on, on a show. There you go. That's true. Because this went by rather quickly, and it was a great, awesome, great five. We're not anywhere near done. Uh oh, we got games. Oh, we got to stop. We have to stop and rest our brains. Right? We're gonna That's play. Right. A ga- I just like activating the other side of my brain because oh, okay. this mm-hmm. gets very intense for me. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we like to play this game called band name or bar name, where the guest from the previous week right. picks a location anywhere in the world, and David spends all oh, week gosh. researching. Oh, I God. do, Does too, man. Me? And I've, I've had three weeks, and I've spent three weeks this morning. How many questions? Oh, oh, no, just, he just, just has the, two names. One okay, of them. Okay. We have to figure out if it's a bar name or a band okay, name. Okay, because I will blow it. Time now for... I don't know what he's... What he's okay. Done. Speaking of rebar, I used to get the I used to get the uh, village voice. One. I used to get the village voice, yeah. and I would open the back and I would read to the audience. Am I reading the name of a bar, yeah. or am I reading the name of the band at, at the, the bar? rebar? Uh, rebar was this alternative comedy space. No, I know you've said it before, but it just clicked that that's yeah. what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's how man. that's how that's how we almost knew each other and were friends until uh-huh. this very moment now that we're officially. <laughs> So uh, taking that inspiration 30 years later here at uh, Y-Toon Shuffle, this is called Band Name or Bar Name. Gotcha. And uh, we're going to travel to Hollywood, Florida. Have you ever been to Hollywood, Florida? Never. Have you ever seen it, driven through it? I know what it is, I think, but is it where is it, where is it it's in right Florida? between uh, Daytona and Miami not a chance yeah no, not been there. <laughs> I, when I every time I drive by it, I've been I'm to like, Miami boy howdy there's another Hollywood I'm yeah, one of those people Hollywood just Florida like, oh, have wow. to take a picture and off we go so we're in Hollywood Florida last week's guest chose that and uh, if I were to say to you uh, Maggie and Andrew would you like to go grab a bite at second nature and grab a beer at second nature and hear blackbird ordinary what? Or would you like to go grab a beer at Blackbird Ordinary and hear the band Second Nature? Oh, jeez. No. We're in Hollywood, I mean, Florida. It's hot. Could you really call a band Second Nature? Well, no, could you really call a bar Blackbird, Blackbird Ordinary? Blackbird Ordinary. It sounds like it could be a beer, but. Yeah, beer, but, but I can't name a bar that. So what got, if it's Blackbird Ordinary Distillery and you just took off distillery? Uh, that's a good point, Maggie. <laughs> there are times I have to drop bar, cantina, oh, or distillery. In yeah. this case, I did not. Okay. What? I know what? Wow, that yeah, that's. I can't see. I can't. I just can't see a bar calling itself Blackbird Ordinary, okay. and I can see some emo-y band going for that. I don't yeah. know. I'm with you on that one. Second Nature is the bar. Second Nature is the bar. Ah, we nailed it. And Blackbird Ordinary, you're saying, is the band. Yeah. Well, Blackbird Ordinary, located at 729 oh. Southwest no! First Avenue, which is about eight miles south of Hollywood, Florida, and a little town they call Miami, um, <clears throat> is the stylish cocktail specialist bar in the area. They got a dance floor and hosts, DJs, bands, 
open until 5 a.m. Holy cow. Every single solitary. That's a, that's a very extraordinary yeah. blackbird bar. There. Oh, Black, my God. Just your ordinary blackbird type. That was a horrible <laughs> joke, but uh, blackbird ordinary. So if you're in town or you're listening and you're nearby, let them know that they were featured on band name or bar name. On the other hand, Second Nature, spelled S-E-K-O-N-D. Second Nature is a wedding band in oh, Hollywood, well. Florida. Okay. They play yeah. classic rock and are willing to travel anywhere, play for sure as long as you want. Weddings, bar mitzvahs, graduations. As long as I want. Good luck An- to them. Anniversary <laughs> parties, Second Nature, Hollywood, Florida. Your job now, Andrew, is yeah. to take us on a journey anywhere in the world, anywhere in the continental United States, where we can research and find a band name and a bar name for next week's show. Oh, boy. Jeez. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go home. I'm going to go to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Nice. Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Good. I, I you know, I, I kind of like the American. Yeah, you know, I'm going to go Cedar spots. Rapids. Okay. Yeah, we've been Good. all over the world. Yeah. Cedar Rapids. Going to Cedar Rapids. Well, I'm sorry that we lost, but it's good because points don't matter. And yeah. we get to keep talking anyway and hanging out. It's, good good deal. <laughs> it's an easy break. It's an e- easy on, easy off exit from the throughway. Yeah. Hey, Andrew, I'm curious. What's a guilty pleasure? That you have right now, musically, television-wise, whatever it is that you're jonesing on. Oh, okay. This is not as hard as I thought. Uh, so, uh, in an undisclosed location, I probably was telling Dave about this. I bought a uh, dilapidated uh, house, uh, oh. uh, and uh, I'm going to sound like a real rich prick because I bought a house. No, I bought a house. <laughs> For $10,000. That's amazing. They do exist in California. Uh, It's a long ways from L.A. It's a three-hour drive, and it is a secretive spot covered and surrounded by meth users. Mm. (laughs) And I go there to uh, swing a hammer around and tear it apart Uh and uh, possibly put it back together. It has a balcony that I sit on and drink Mm. Natty Lights. Oh, wow. And watch, uh, it's got a large view of a gigantic uh, sort of salt flat. Okay. And uh, which, it's my my ocean house, but it's about $900,000 and $90,000 less than (laughs) than anything you could find. Wait a minute, no, more like $2 million less than anything you could find. I was with you until you said Natty Light. Most I've had people, some most, bad experience with I, some most, Natty Light. <laughs> most people are with me until the Natty Light moment. I didn't even know I know, you're like, come over it. and drink. We got Natty Light. Oh, no. I'm good. I, I, I'm, good. I'm pretty you. good about supplying different brands for anyone who would join me because I know that I, when I go down the Natty Light hole. That's or if the, they're going to go into your I sanctuary, love, bring your own beer. I love Natty Light because uh, it's sort of like the old Olympia beer. It's basically uh, just water. Yeah. It's it really just water. Mm-hmm. It's headache medicine. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Well, this is probably both David and my favorite part of the show, but thinking very hard, we would love to hear the story of your very first concert. Ooh, oh boy. Uh, I, it's, not, it's, not, it's, it's not that exciting. It's kind of interesting. Um, but in 1976 or something, 77, I was a uh, uh, 15, 14-year-old kid. My friend Philip Kirk invited me to a rock concert about – so, so I went to see a guy that that was just making it. I'd never heard of him and went to Hanshaw Auditorium in Iowa City, Iowa, and I watched Born to Run. I watched Bruce Springsteen, and I was, I was I, it was exploding out of my seat. I loved this music, and, you know, I wasn't even, I wasn't a rock fan at the time. I listened to, 
Louis Armstrong. So it was a it was a it was a it was a super cool concert. And then like one week later, he was on the cover of Time and News, which is a rare thing. Which is a rare thing. You don't these are magazines that don't exist anymore. But he was on the cover of Time and Newsweek at the same time. Like wow. he had exploded that big. Wow. And uh, and so I saw this very athletic Jersey guy jumping off of amplifiers and flying all over the stage and sing this album that I really is one of my favorite albums too. And I got to see that concert and, and I don't go to concerts. And and so this was this, that was probably that, that it, it, again, it's not, it's Oh, Bruce Springsteen, but, but it was like, like an unknown element. that was to, your, to me, your friend took you and my, and my buddy, uh, Philip Kirk was like, Hey, do you want to go see this guy? And we were both into like, jazz fusion and weird stuff at this point and, who, and, uh, who took you as 15 year old boys uh we could mm-hmm. go we just or someone maybe no i think we could just go it was like it was, it was uh, safe then. yeah it was yeah. safe yeah yeah it was in my it was in our hometown we had this big auditorium called hancher which was a it was not the probably acoustically one of the great places to see a rock concert but it wasn't like a free-flowing let's throw fish frisbees around kind of rock vibe <laughs> yeah that's a pretty good That's first concert. That's a really great first concert. <laughs> yeah, that was a good first concert, I guess. I saw Bruce Springsteen years later at Madison Square Garden. Wow. And, uh, you know, I don't know how many people fit in it, 25,000 people singing along to every note, ruining a night of music. You know, it just, just like Jersey and New York. You know, mm-hmm. it just is, they grew up, they love this music. You can't mm-hmm. blame them, but mm-hmm. they can't shut up. So it's like, you're not <laughs> listening to music. You're, you're just experiencing something. Yeah, you're like singing a cult, you know, and, yeah. And, yeah. That's different. Yeah. Well, this has been wonderful. I'm so glad you've been on the show. I know we can find you on IMDb, but if fans want to follow your work more closely, do you have a corner of the internet where they can go like and share your stuff? No, not at all. No, I don't. I don't. Uh, I, I, I don't do. I, I, I actually am the creative director at a place called Funny or Die. Oh, um, we can find him there. Oh, okay. uh, but I don't do a lot of um, uh, short form stuff at Funny or Die. I, I sort of deal more with longer form things and other projects. So you. If you just want to follow me, yeah, go watch my go watch some of the obscure movies and things I've done, and go look at old SNL sketches. I guess awesome. <laughs> and if you want to hear the outtakes of the interview and 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 order up Andrew Steele's five, um, we haven't gotten to that point yet, but we're trying <laughs> desperately to provide you fifty thousand people with uh, with this opportunity. Drop us a line, let us know you're listening, and uh, you know, tell us your story, tell us your fave five, tell us a song that means something to you as well. Email us ytunesshuffle at gmail.com or like us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at ytunesshuffle. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, Andrew. 